You're listening to Hey guys, welcome to First of All, a real unfiltered conversation on career, family, relationships, and culture. I'm your host, Minji Chang. I'm an actor, producer, and entrepreneur, and I'm here to share inspiring stories and go through everyday life with you. Uh, Right off the top, I don't know how inspiring this week's episode is going to be, but it definitely is with the intention to walk through life with you because it has been a moment, a really tough moment for a lot of folks, at least in my universe and for myself to go through. And um, with the full you know, mission of what first of all was from the very beginnings from its birth was to be a space for Asian American voices, for female voices. And there's a, a lot to kind of unpack with what happened this past week and what's been happening in the Asian American community. So to get everybody up to speed, if you're new to first of all and have this first time tuning in, um, this podcast has been an exploration and a, and a place where my experience and the, the friends of mine in my universe can talk through a lot of different elements of who we are as people, whether that's race or gender or sexuality or geography or whatever. You know, we all have a, a really diverse background. Um, we're all unique individuals, human beings, and I'm fascinated by that. And I wanted this space to be a place where we can share all those things, talk through some things, process some things, learn. And um, this last year, there's been a huge surge in anti-Asian violence. Um, this, The last administration, the Trump administration, had been kind of setting the stage and uh, provoking and planting a lot of hateful uh, hateful rhetoric, a lot of hateful attitudes and discriminatory um, perspectives and viewpoints really like empowering a lot of people that are bigoted and that are xenophobic. And it's been a really scary time. Um, but in terms of the hate crimes that have been happening, the violence uh, that has been surging, I think we're almost at like 4,000 hate crimes in the last year. Uh, it's been a lot for folks to deal with. And With what happened in Atlanta um, and knowing the fact that a lot of the people that tune in for first of all are uh, a lot of Asian Americans, Asian diaspora, a lot of women, uh, female identifying folks. um, I just my my wish was to create a space for us to to kind of grieve together and process and to learn again all the original intentions of this podcast because there is a lot to unpack here it's not just pain but that pain is coming from a shared experience of being largely invisible being discriminated against being oppressed being uh you know attacked and mistreated and dehumanized in so many different forms that it's something that's been cracked open in this moment and I think that it's it's worth addressing and, I don't know, just like working through because I've been really, really uh, fortunate to be around others who are creating their own spaces so that I can process what the heck I've been going through because it has been a lot. So um, with all that being said, I, it's a lot I'd share. Like this is actually the fourth, <laughs> the fourth attempt at this episode. I've recorded three whole podcasts before this. And at the end of the day, I didn't feel comfortable putting it out in the public. I don't know if it was just too incoherent or too hateful. I was processing a lot. And uh, yeah, this is my fourth attempt. So I really hope that this is the one that I can share because I have been just stressing out for the last week, feeling this urgency and this want and desire to like be there for everybody who's been supportive of, first of all, who's been you know, leaning on it in whatever fashion that it's a place of like respite and peace and feeling seen and understood. I wanted so badly to put something of value out there. Um, But I was also going through so much chaos in my own mind and in my own heart and also doing my best to like stay afloat like everybody else has been. We're still dealing with a pandemic. We're all still trying to make enough money to pay for the roof over our heads and to feed ourselves. Um, and just managing so much stress, it, it, it did take 
quite a toll on me. So I guess what I want to say is like, I'm sorry that it's taken me until now. And I appreciate everybody's like care and understanding because I did talk to a few friends and listeners who are like so sweet. And like, I was expressing like how frustrated I feel that I haven't put anything out yet. Um, I, I'm like doing my best to engage somewhat on social media so that I can share resources, but some of those things have just been so triggering for me. I feel so overwhelmed that I'd be like crying or sleeping poorly or whatever. And there's just been nothing but understanding and supportive and saying like, hey, everybody's going through it. Um, Take your space, take your time. There's no pressure. Just like be able to show up when you can. I just appreciate that love so much. So thank you. If you are that person, you know who you are. I appreciate you very much for uh, I don't know, giving me permission to be a human. <laughs> and that's what I want to help do for others because I, I get I'm being given that grace. Um, so also want to say that I am pretty burnt out, um, not to the worst. I've been in way worse, you know, um, shape. I've been in worse shape before. But if I say things that are like fragmented and incoherent, I apologize. I'm I'm doing the best that I can. I do feel better now than I have in the last like what eight days but um yeah I just wanted to share some of my thoughts and feelings on this because I've been learning so much and thinking about a lot of what has been happening uh so first of all I love you guys Uh, my like big intro and disclaimers out of the way I freaking love you and I am sending love out to you and I'm giving you a big freaking hug because this uh has been it has been a lot of ugliness to process and digest. Um, specifically, I, I don't know how to kind of compartmentalize or like categorize these 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 experiences that are all just like colliding and intersecting right now in this moment. Um, but I want to acknowledge the fact that this is a freaking hate crime. I already said it earlier and... It's one of the things that has just been infuriating me from the get-go. Um, the fact that a 21-year-old, you know, white domestic terrorist, which is that's what he is, uh, decided to purchase a gun same day, head out to three separate massage parlor uh, parlors, and I believe there was like a 30-minute drive involved. Like, these were targeted specific locations that he wanted to go to that are you know, Asian owned and that primarily, you know, the massage, the people who were giving the massages, the people working there were Asian women that he killed six out of eight people who died. And my heart goes out to all the families and the people that have been so devastated by eight innocent people being victimized and killed in cold blood out of nowhere at their place of work. Um, the fact that that hasn't been definitively clearly identified as a hate crime in the aftermath of that horrendous thing even happening has been like a mountain of salt on this already just human wound like the fact that this happened in any case and also sidebar I will get to it but like the gun violence in this country in the United States is absolutely insane out of control we've already had another mass shooting since that one last week which is the one in Boulder Colorado and my heart goes out to everybody impacted there i know that was not like a racially motivated hate crime but it's still fucking terrible it is just terrible and i'm so sad that that happened and i um my heart breaks on that front as well but let's go back to this this atlanta shooting the fact that this white man went out killed six out of eight victims were asian women targeted hate crime that it's not called a hate crime that um the police captain the cherokee county you know police captain goes on to this press conference and then has the audacity and the dismissiveness and this like empathetic view towards the the killer the murderer saying that he had he was at the end of his rope and he had a really bad day on top of the fact that it's not being acknowledged like we don't think that it's racially motive because the killer said it wasn't it has been so much to process again no no incident happens in a vacuum um we are human beings that experience life on a day-to-day basis and we are interconnected with one another and we are interconnected with all the different experiences that bring us to where we are currently as an asian american woman i and just as like a person of color and someone who's not white in the united states of america to see the level of 
white privilege that gets exercised on like every front from financially to the justice system to to everything it is a thing it it exists it is as real as you and i are and um we are seeing things a little not a lit, little i think we are seeing things so much more clearly now of how that that white privilege and these um codified behaviors of white supremacy exist that's just one of them um it's like i feel like it's so silly to say this even at this point because we've all been saying it but like he had a bad day like he had a bad day eight people who who died had a bad day their families had a bad day everyone around them the people who had to deal with the carnage they are the ones that had the bad day and and that the the narrative and that the focus on this on empathizing with the shooter is just insane and it's like a fact that if he wasn't a young white man if he was anybody else would he have been treated with the same empathy it's all conjecture but i'm pretty certain that he would not um we're seeing this you know play out in the in in the public space in so many different incidences including like the capital riots versus like how they treated these people that stormed the capital like it, I, it it's mind-boggling and then it goes to the fact that these were asian women um right now just like the anti-asian violence has been so hard to bear it has been scary um, to walk around wondering if you have a target on your back, knowing that in some places you really do have a target on your back, worrying about my grandparents and my parents. The fact that the elderly are being targeted, I mean, there's just something so insane about that. Like, the elderly, they're literally the most helpless, and they are walking in their neighborhoods or going to the grocery store, standing at a stoplight, completely unprovoked they're not saying anything they're not doing anything and then they're getting attacked in broad daylight out of nowhere getting cut across their face on a subway they are getting spit on they are getting insulted they are getting being you know screamed at and being called racial slurs i mean it's just it's it's gut-wrenching it's disgusting behavior and then just having that fear, it's on top of all the other stressors that a lot of people have been going through. And then seeing that um, Asian women were targeted and talked about by this killer as like a sexual temptation and uh, that, that needs to be eliminated. Like as, a, as an Asian woman, as a woman, as a woman of color, as a millennial, whatever, like all of the things, it, it has filled me with so much rage. Like I can't even put words to it. Rage, to me, doesn't fully define it. It is, like, this very visceral, very, like, from the depths of my soul feeling of, of like, betrayal against being a person. And uh, this feeling of, I mean, I feel so angry, like, I could laugh. That kind of anger. Because it's so absurd that women have been scapegoated, women in general, that like, if you are female, y'all know what I'm saying, that it is our duty to manage the urges of a, of a, of a heterosexual man of like, he cannot, he, your ankle, don't share your ankle. Oh my God. You're, you're you know, like you, you can't wear shorts. You can't like, why did you walk there? Why did you wear that? Why did you think you could get gas at night? Why did you try to get milk? Like, God forbid we try to exist and carry on with our, our, our lives, right? Like we, we shouldn't have gone someplace alone. We shouldn't have gone somewhere out out at night we shouldn't have worn this we shouldn't have looked somebody in the eye like literally the entire narrative about be around being a woman has been the most exhausting and infuriating thing that i can just my entire freaking life our entire freaking lives the amount of fear that we have to internalize and manage on a daily freaking basis no matter where the hell we go no matter what we freaking do it is it has been this victim blaming narrative this victim blaming attitude and this scapegoating nonsense that has been going on since like forever way before i ever came into this earth okay it's just facts 
the fact that I have been that I have been deemed a temptress that that somehow removes culpability, responsibility, accountability from the person perpetrating the violence against me, against her, about against anybody else. That is not the perpetrator's responsibility. That is my fault because I'm the temptress. And that's the way that the person looks at it. And there's a lot of people who excuse that, who don't hold that accountable. And that has been my existence for as long as I can freaking remember. That it is my job to hold my tongue, to watch my mouth, to, to watch every single part of my existence, my behavior, my tone of voice, my dress, my everything, that messaging to me, from what I understand and from what I've investigated time and time and time and time again, from having two brothers, from being around men and being a member of society for as long as I can remember, from media consumption, from everything, that message is highly imbalanced. It is predominantly majority, if not almost all on the girl or the female or the victim to watch how they exist. And it's not on the the perpetrator. Boggles my mind that we have to train our girls to not get raped instead of saying, hey, young man, don't rape. Do you know what I'm saying? Hey, young girl, don't do this thing to like warrant being commented on instead of being like, hey, young man, young boy, whatever, like shut your mouth. You don't disrespect women that way. And on top of that, like layered by this whole fetishization that is so real and so tangibly, palpably experienced, like on a regular basis by so many Asian American women and silenced and dismissed. And that for the sake of our sanity and for our safety, we internalize and keep quiet on that have actual repercussions. That is not a freaking joke. That's not sexy. It's not desirable. It's not, it's not, uh, like, I I have actual episodes. My my wonderful, first of all, teammate Juliana, who I freaking love. In light of all this, like she she was so supportive and like one of the one of the really wonderfully wonderfully loud voices of like Minji, take your space if you can't handle like you don't have to do anything. She went and like you know went through some of my episodes. I have multiple episodes, you guys, that I forgot about that. Those episodes are specifically talking about the times I was fetishized. And those are like, I didn't even want to like give it that much air. But so there are more, but there are like, there's several episodes where I specifically share the incidences of racism, of misogyny, the sexualized misogyny of being fetishized in this podcast, you know, in the anthology of first of all, it's there. And that's only tip of the iceberg, man, because if I spent all of my waking hours sharing the stories of and like my feelings and my disgust around all the gross ass ways I've been treated, we wouldn't have space or time to talk about anything else. That's how frequent these things are in my life. And I know in others, I am not alone in this. There has been something cracked open because we cannot tolerate this anymore. That it's not even just the fact that it's dehumanizing and it chips away at somebody's soul and their sense of safety and their sense of belonging and their sense of like just being a respectable and honorable human being treated that way on a regular basis. On top of that is that it has actual consequences because that kind of mentality unchecked leads to what happened last week in Atlanta. It is the complicity of people who think that, that it's a harmless joke, that it's not something that is demeaning, that it's when people are literally telling them that it's demeaning. I've literally spoken my truth and saying, hey, that's gross. Please don't speak to me that way. And that the response to that is to laugh at off and saying that I'm too sensitive and that I need to not take what's meant to be a compliment the wrong way. Excuse me, sir, but I, I'm letting you know what my experience is and you don't dictate what the hell my experience is. If I'm telling you that this makes me feel unsafe, it makes me feel disrespected and gross, then you shut the hell up. That's what you do. You don't tell me who, what I think, what I feel. It is just on that level, and it has been that way. And there's still people out there who are going to argue back with me, even still, if they heard this, that I'm being too sensitive and that it's ridiculous, that it's meant to be a compliment. But let me tell you, on, on a human level, it's disrespectful and it's gross. It makes girls feel unsafe. A lot of girls do laugh it off because they don't know how else to like maintain their safety. That is something we also need to clarify. If I step to you and I'm surrounded by a bunch of grown men catcalling me, konichiwaing me, ching-chonging me, which happened on a daily basis when I was living in Europe and abroad, when I've lived in bigger cities, when I've traveled everywhere, 
and people are talking to me about like talk to me like that on Tinder, whatever. Like it happens in so many different spaces, right? If I again had to expend the energy, I wouldn't have energy to do anything else. B, it is about safety. What am I gonna do? I mean, I am a tiny little Asian girl. By simple physics and mass, I have little, like, I carry mace. Now I have a freaking knife. My brother doesn't, you know, like, I have a knife, you guys. Like, I don't want to have to have a knife, but I have a knife. I I don't want to have to confront somebody and deal with some physical altercation that, A, I may not survive. Highly likely I wouldn't because you can physically overpower me. And I'm dealing with these, like, micro traumas on the regular because I don't want to deal with this major trauma of getting attacked. That is a regular experience of any female. And the fact that there are, like, there's pop culture, porn, bro culture, like, so many things that, like, okay this kind of thing that are an actual threat to my safety is something that, to me, is, like, clear as day. It's something so... Again, my name is Minji and sexualized misogyny exists. Those are two facts. Like <laughs> it's not it's not a theory. This is what people deal with. And I think it's it's the one I guess like silver lining is that that we are we're breaking that down. And I get it. It's not to condemn anybody else. Like, why didn't you speak up? Why didn't you tell him to fuck off? Why didn't you do this or that? I'm not victim blaming here. Like, I want to make this space to for anybody who's experienced, like, the kinds of gross, nasty stuff that I have and way worse because I've been hearing more of these stories lately in these safe spaces. Um, I've, I get it. I understand. And you're not—I don't think you're to blame. I think the people that— have the audacity and the like insensitivity and the entitlement and just like the grossness to to act that way they are the ones who need to be held accountable it is not your fault that you are doing your best to stay safe and to maintain your sanity by quote unquote tolerating it it is it is intolerable but we've been doing the mental emotional labor by absorbing all of this like a freaking emotional mental trauma sponge and then being condemned that we are reacting to it when it's too much to take and it already has been too much for far too long it's not your fault okay so let me just say that there's there are major major issues i mean again this is just tip of the iceberg i i'm not an expert i'm just me i'm just a, a one woman living in la experiencing this life and I just want to like speak my truth because hopefully I've been hearing others speak theirs and it has been in its own way, like liberating me to make sure to ensure that I don't feel alone. That's that's my intention here. And hopefully anybody who has the capacity and the compassion and the empathy and the, you know, just honestly, like the emotional intelligence to make space and to listen to other people's stories. Like I am very grateful if you're listening to that. If this does not apply to your life experience and you're just here to listen and learn. Thank you. Thank you for caring. Thank you for taking time and energy to absorb the ugliness of this truth. We're still here, and we're going strong. It's an exciting time in Asian America. There are more movies, TV shows, books, and music reflecting us than ever. But all of these represent just a small slice of Asian American culture and experiences. So what do we do? Tell more slices. Asian Americana is a show that explores these slices of distinctly Asian American culture and history. We've talked about how Chinese Americans built California's Sacramento Delta, the art scene turns gallery institution giant robot, a play that explores the lost Cambodian pop music of the 60s and 70s, and, of course, Boba, just to name a few stories. You can find Asian Americana at asianamericana.com or on your podcast app.
Okay, I don't know about you guys and your snack habits, but I'm a very big chip fiend. Okay, if it's salty and it's crunchy, I love it. And there's something about Asian chips and Asian snacks that just hits home in a completely different way. And I'm very excited because Irvin salted chips are now available in the United States. I first had Irvin's, I think about four years ago when my friend gave me a salmon skin chip. Now, when I saw the bag, I was like, oh my God, that is hella Asian. But me being me, I was like, give it to me. That sounds delicious. And I tried it and I found out why their tagline is hashtag dangerously addictive because they are. Um, And now Singapore's number one snack, we don't have to smuggle it from Asia anymore. Like our moms or like my mom, when she has to smuggle in seaweed and anchovy from Korea, whenever she goes there, we don't have to do that anymore. It is available stateside. And they have another flavor called the salted egg chip. And you guys, they use actual real salted duck egg yolks and fresh curry leaves and red pepper. Like this is not powder flavoring. They actually bake all these real ingredients into the chip because they treat these chips like a culinary masterpiece, okay? So what you can do is go to visit eatirvins.com. That's eatirvins.com. And you can use the code potluck to get free shipping on any online order of Irvin salted egg snacks. Enjoy it. It's delicious. Treat yourself because you deserve it. Now, there's a lot of complexity in this conversation. What's been driving like the stop Asian hate hashtag, the conversations that that's coming up in like the comments in terms of the analyses, in terms of the solidarity conversation. Um, and I, I highly, I'm, I'm not the expert in this. I'm again, just somebody that's witnessing it, observing it. I have personally been in the Asian American diversity conversation for the last decade plus in the entertainment space working to advocate for Asian American representation in media. I've been seeing it from the grassroots side, which means that I've been part of all the the organizations from the neighborhoods, the people who are the activists, the people who are experiencing the racism, the people that are working to be storytellers and change the narrative to understand the history. So I feel like I've been very lucky and privileged to understand that from such a regular basis around these types of people who are highly intelligent, passionate, articulate, and active about that that particular narrative. I've also been in like Hollywood, Hollywood in various forms, working with studios, hearing it from executives, people who want to improve the diverse representation, but they don't fully know how. Some are better at it than others. Some are more ignorant than others. Some of them are more woke than others. Like it's been a really fascinating, honestly, life long case study of watching how race is addressed, how it's codified, how it is perpetrated in terms of xenophobia, in terms of racism, classism, all of that, um, accessibility. I've been I've been like studying it, experiencing it in, in my particular way, in my particular corner of the world for a while. It still doesn't make me an expert because I'm still learning so much every freaking day. Um, that being said, like it's more my awareness because I've been lucky enough and been around this kind of environment where people are sophisticated with the facts and the knowledge that they know, the history that they understand, the contextualization of a lot of things that are in other in other communities and other groups of people a lot more overly simplified or misinformed. Like, I feel very, very fortunate. Um and so I, I understand, like, the basic for me, like, how oversimplified this conversation can be because our colliding points are, you know, our experiences of other communities, other races, other classes, other just, like, life is so limited. And that's the interesting thing, I think, about my generation in particular and younger because we have been exposed so much more to other walks of life, other perspectives, way more than our parents' generation and older have ever been. And that's a privilege. It's also a specific burden because we are bombarded with like all the plights and all of the stressors that, quite frankly, I like explained to my parents, I was like, I know I'm not diminishing the stress that they had to endure, but like they, they didn't have to get on like Instagram and Facebook and Twitter and Clubhouse or whatever and like hear about it on such a regular basis is it it is extremely mentally taxing and exhausting because i do believe that there's so many people out there who want to do right in this world who are not intentionally racist or hostile or xenophobic but like your environment helps like produce who you become and if we're not actively seeking to become educated like there's just so much noise out there 
And it is a lot when you're just trying to survive on your own in wherever space you are at in life. It is a lot. It is a lot to deal with. So for me, I, I've seen very ugly sides of this world. I have experienced ugly relationships in my own world. I have encountered racism myself. I have seen it firsthand. And I know that I haven't even seen the ugliest of it. But I'm, I'm still learning myself. And, and just speaking from a humanistic side, like I still believe that we have the ability to be better. And I think we're facing like these really, really ugly things right now possibly because we're ready now to deal with it in a different way. That's being very optimistic. And somebody might tell me that I'm being like Pollyanna about this and you're just like deluded. Like we are not, we're, we're trash humans and we can't be better. Like we just need to give up. And trust me, I have felt that. Like the despair that I have felt, the sorrow that I felt, the resentment and bitterness that I felt has been crippling. But I think that's also just like, I don't know. I also want to give space for that feeling to exist because I'm not perfect. I'm not a freaking saint. Like I feel anger and rage and all of that. I want, sometimes I feel like I want revenge, but also like I'm a person that's gone through some ugly, terrible things. I've done terrible things. I've had terrible things done to me. Personally, for me at this point, like I don't want revenge. Like that's kind of like that righteous anger feeling that comes from like unhealed trauma and all that stuff that is very real. I want justice and I want, I want safety, honestly, safety out of all of it. It's just, I don't understand how people, I do understand. I don't like how people, there are people who have to like go out of their way to harm others because they're not okay with themselves. Clearly, like for me, when I see even the the shooter guy, like there's something really like, I heard that he's like a hyper-religious, like the son of a pastor. And that, oh my God, like I've also talked about that on First of All because I grew up super religious. You know, there's a part of, it's not like, I'm not throwing everything out because I do think there's a lot of beauty to faith and like religion. But I've witnessed some like the dark ugliness of being hyper-religious and hyper-condemning everybody else and judging everybody else and having superiority complexes and then having inferiority complexes built into that and having all sorts of trauma that's inflicted by that and and not healing that and literally just lashing out. And I honestly see that in this kid. Like, he's a, he's a child, in my opinion. Yeah, he's 21, he's an adult, and he should be tried as an adult, and I'm glad he is. But I also look at him and I was like, you are a kid. You're a child. You don't, you don't know up from down, man. But he does. So he's going to be held accountable to that. But what I'm saying is people are going through like their versions of their own internal hell. And like when that is going all chaotically inside, they project that onto others and then look what happens. So there's a small part of me that like can feel for him. I'm not excusing anything he did and I want to see him held accountable to the degree that anybody else would be held accountable, not with any special, you know, cushions because he happens to be a white male. And that's the thing that I fear. And it makes me so angry that he probably will be given a lot of allowances because that's what we become used to. And that's the thing that I want to change because if somebody does wrong, that needs to be held accountable. If I do something wrong, I have been held accountable. And I also think I've been able to get away with some things because I don't know, because I'm a tiny Asian girl, probably it's reality. And out of all of this, out of all the pain and sorrow and all the anger and the bitterness, like out of everything even prior to this that has caused me the same kind of pain and the same kind of anger and resentment, my goal still, my intention, the thing that I want is justice and it's respect and it's just equal treatment as as a human being. That's what I want. And I keep my eye on the prize. That's who I am. And people can think that I'm being overly idealistic, don't really care. I care about what is it that I want out of this situation. And out of the pain that I see all around me that I am myself like walking my way through on like literally hour by hour basis, I want peace and I want restoration of safety and respect and humanity in our communities, period. We can be different and we can still coexist. I believe that's possible because it does exist. It just not everywhere, but it does exist where people can look out for each other, that you can be incredibly different than me, live a completely different life than me. And I'm not going to condemn you for that. I'm not going to try and harm you for that. I'm not going to perceive that as a threat to me because, hey, as much as I can have my own choices and my own walk of life, my own beliefs, 
so can you. The issue that I have is when people take that and then they use it to harm others. That's the stuff that I can't, I cannot stand for. That's stuff that's been happening in this country since it's since the birth of this country, since people came here and colonized America and took it away from indigenous people. Like there's so much of our history that I'm still learning and that I quite frankly haven't learned and in part haven't cared to learn because I've been caught up in my own stuff and like my own life. And I just like, ironically, like I'm really like encouraged by that, that there's this, this more passionate, intentionality behind learning these things of like how has this been woven into us and programmed into how we perceive ourselves how we perceive our neighbors and how it's been put into policy into law i've been learning more about immigration about real estate about zoning about voting about race relations about reparations about the civil rights movement about the chinese exclusion act about uh japanese internment which i've been learning piecemeal over the years being part of this asian american conversation but understanding like how much the work of the civil rights movement the black community literally allowed immigration period to exist and the ways that people in power have exercised their power to their advantage not for the benefit of everybody but to their advantage how asian americans have been used as a freaking wedge minority to to shame and to further villainize the black community that they can't be like us misinforming like generations of people of who asian americans are again that's just something i can't stand in general when people speak on my behalf when they don't even freaking know me and when they're trying to exploit me and leverage me to their advantage i can't stand that and people do do that a lot it's just sadly a part of like what some people in this life do and there's a lot of my Asian American like community that I have had frustration with about how much they don't acknowledge their privilege and how much how much they have been exploited and disenfranchised and living in poverty and misrepresented on that front because that's real too. This like the fastest the biggest disparity within any minority is within Asian Americans. So this this whole unbelievably wrong narrative that all Asians are like well-to-do, rich, affluent, educated, etc. Hey, the people that are, that's like on purpose. That's, if you guys understand and start to understand the, the law um, around immigration and how that happened after certain wars and what that was meant to achieve, it's highly political. It makes a lot of sense. And it's just very like mind-boggling for me to understand that like how my parents, like my parents came over from Korea in 1980. It's like a very specific wave of immigrants and like how they were allowed or not allowed or incentivized or not incentivized to like be allowed in for what reason to work where with what kind of money it's it's just there's so much i'm learning so much and i'm encouraging everybody out there who's going through this pain um not saying you have to do it now or ever like but i've been something that has been alleviating some of the frustration or at least giving me a direction of where like I can place that is through getting educated honestly like learning facts learning history that has been conveniently left out of like what we're taught I mean don't even sorry on the education system and like how inconsistent and how flawed that is and ugh, that's a whole other thing but just like this is American history I've, I'm realizing how much my own history has been absent, not only from media, not only from Hollywood, but from history books, and how much those pieces of information paint a whole other, more fuller picture of what America is. I'm not, I'm not like throwing America altogether under the bus, although I'm very close to it, man. Like, I just, like, this the feeling of, like, we cannot have nice things. Like, we don't deserve anything nice. We just need to, like, stop. Like, let's reset. Can we just control alt-delete? That's, like, a PC term, whatever. But, like, literally just reboot America because this none of this is working. We're, we're trash. We suck. Like, let's just stop this. I have felt that so much. But then there's parts of me, like, I don't know, being the kids of 
being a kid of like immigrants who came here pursuing the American dream and seeing like hearing directly from my parents, like how much they still, even despite all of our nonsense and all of our insanity, my parents still like appreciate being here. They, they still praise like the freedoms that we are able to have and how comparatively speaking, like we are very fortunate. I don't want to lose that. You know, um, I personally don't want to like throw out everything good just because there are these bad things, but the bad things got to get addressed because there are very, very real consequences that are happening if they go unaddressed. You know what I'm saying? It's like that it's not enough to not be racist. At this point, it is required of anybody who has decency, which I do believe are so many people really, to be anti-racist, to call it what it is, call a hate crime a hate crime. Like to understand the ways that we perceive things and the things that we believe, how that ends up becoming law. For example, the fact that there, I believe there's 13, I might be wrong, but there's a number of states where it, rape is still permissible if it's from a spouse. It's not considered rape if it's your spouse. Rape is rape is rape. And a lot of rape is perpetrated by people close to a victim. It's not by some, like statistically speaking, a lot of like rape is not committed by like some random attack on the street. It is often committed by somebody that the person knows. And so to rule out like that a spouse cannot be a rapist is like by law insane to me. These are the things that are like shaping the way that we live. And so I just implore people like I didn't mean for this to become like a tutorial. I'm just sharing things that I know. I know that my understanding and the facts that I have under my under my belt is very li- they're very limited. I want to listen. Um, the relationship that Asian Americans have with themselves, I know very thoroughly how complicated that is. How there is you know infighting between ethnicities because Asian American as a term that embodies a lot of different kinds of people, that there's a lot of conversations happening between the over-representation of East Asians, like Chinese, Korean, Japanese, and Southeast Asians. South Asians not even feeling like they're part of that conversation. Um, All understandable, all very real, all have been happening. Um, I think with increasing intensity and more honesty and um, hopefully less hostility because we all want to be heard and we want to fix this problem. And and there's generational things, generational traumas, colonization, imperialism that is like being processed that is different from like immigrant kids that didn't grow up with that because we grew up here or wherever you are um, versus in the motherland where like that was a really painful part of like my parents and grandparents' generation. These are real things. These are not that far removed either. These are things that like my parents lived through and had to deal with the fallout from. Like wars and atrocities. There are refugees. There are so many stories that are embedded in this one term of Asian American. Then you go out to like how minorities in general have been treated and different marginalized communities have been treated in this country. And how people have been fighting between those voices to have significance, to have relevance, to have um, any importance whatsoever when it came to policy or protection or protection from one another. I mean, that's the reality. There's some really uncomfortable conversations, but I think such necessary conversations happening between the Asian and Black communities right now. I have been listening as best as I can to different clubhouse rooms. I know not everybody's on clubhouse and that it's, you know, very like iOS universe right now, but, um, doing my best to just listen and understand. And some of it has been really, really painful to hear and really uncomfortable to like take accountability for, to hear directly from many folks in the black community who feel some type of way towards Asians and but also like celebrating in the same room, same conversation, hearing the defense and hearing that people you know, coming to true like allyship and solidarity of people acknowledging the efforts that have been done as, as you know, minuscule as they may appear or as invisible as they may be to some other people in that same community. It's like, it's been wild. Like the amount of effort and care and, and willingness to like go through the fire to stand up for self, to stand up for our communities and to stand up for one another. It has been mind boggling. So I also want to put that out into the universe that 
though that may be like one singular clubhouse room with like whatever 100 to 200 to 500 people they're they're growing it's it's crazy people are listening and talking about these things and that is incredibly encouraging to me they're really uncomfortable and they're really like again there's part of the asian stereotype of like being quiet and just like not engaging in these conversations not being confrontational which i think is a lot of people but yeah like asian americans have been quiet in a lot of ways but i also want to put out there like i want to acknowledge because i know this from like my own universe asian americans are hell like we still work though like because it's not like out there loud on the front lines which is necessary and i'm so proud of like my friends who have been so much more vocal who encourage me and give me power and courage to like speak up in my own voice there's still work being done. You know what I'm saying? Like not all work, not everything requires like a loudspeaker. And so I'm very, very encouraged by the fact that there are more conversations happening within the Asian American community to hold each other accountable, um, to talk about hard things, to call out misogyny, to call out um, our politics, the, the the truth of like history, the, the facts of the matter. And a lot of things are being hap- that have been happening in quieter, less obvious spaces. It is being done. So if you feel alone in any capacity as an Asian American or Asian diaspora, as a woman, whatever, people are out there doing the work. They are. And the numbers are growing. That is something very, very cool. That is something very encouraging. That's the energy that I want to feed that energy. I want to encourage that energy because I know for a fact how terrifying it is, how scary it can feel to speak up. For God's sake, this is my fourth time trying to talk about this before I can put it out and publish it because I am scared of saying the wrong thing. I am scared of failing and hurting somebody's feelings, inviting harm on my community for so many reasons. Like I... I'm used to it though. Like I've been used to doing this. What partially why I'm so freaking pissed off because I've had to like tolerate this. But on that same note, like I have benefited off of other people's effort. I have benefited off of other people's blood, sweat, and tears, their courage, their bravery, their willingness to like stare fear in the face, do the work, make a difference, change policy protest in the street, have the uncomfortable conversation with their peers, with their colleagues, with their bosses, with their families. Like they have done that work and I have benefited off of that. So I cannot not participate at this point. Like, you know, I feel like the things I have done pale in comparison to the work that needs to be done, but I I don't want to discredit that either. Because if whatever place you're at and wherever I'm at, it's just where we're at. And this is not the end though, you guys, like this is where we can start today or, you know, take a second today and work on it tomorrow. There's things that we can do to help one another out to relieve that burden and to have a bigger impact. And right now, there are people that I just want to call out because I understand, like, there's so much, like, superiority complex stuff going on and so many egos going on and like get this gets on my freaking nerves in the in the activist community in the diversity conversation like everybody wants to be like the voice everybody wants to be the most like the most woke and the most impactful like oh what are these slacktivists online doing like uh, hashtags are so whack like do real work i'm sorry like i'm just over that like Right now, you guys, in face of all of this hate and, like, this insidious, like, systemic racism that has just been the fabric of this country and our existence, I would love as much help as freaking possible. Like, we need all hands on deck. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm not going to hate on somebody who went out of their way. And, yeah, you might judge that as, like, oh, it just took them five seconds. didn't cost them anything. Sure. But, like, they still did it. And I appreciate it because it brought awareness to their little universe You know, I don't need every celebrity to be doing it. I would love it if every celebrity did it. But also, like, we cannot discount the impact that people have within their own circles of influence. And quite frankly, if Chrissy Teigen says something and it's, like, dope and hilarious and awesome, like, yeah, I enjoy it. I'm entertained by it. I can be empowered by it. And I appreciate Chrissy. Rest in peace to Chrissy's Twitter. She, like, all of that. Like, she needs to do what she needs to do. 
But I listen to my brother. I listen to my best friends. I am highly influenced by the people directly in my universe that I have vested emotional, mental, like relationship interest in. They are highly influential in my life. And if I broke it down, like they're more influential in like what I'm actually going to really do and what I will fight for and what I'll feel motivated by than Chrissy Teigen. Real talk. But I still appreciate Chrissy because she's very entertaining. I'm like using Chrissy as an example. Do you know what I'm saying? So to say that like a hashtag doesn't matter or that it's not real activism, like I think that's just a load of bull. Like everybody got to do their part and everybody can do their part. That's my point. That every one little thing adds up like water. These are water droplets in a bucket, but that bucket gets filled by a million different water droplets. So do your drop. If you can put in a cup, I appreciate that. If you can put in a whole gallon into that bucket, I appreciate that so much. And everybody's got to do their part because not everybody is a loudspeaker and not everybody is a public speaker. Not everybody is in politics. Not everybody is a leader at their company, but we are all human beings and we all have our respective points of impact. So I just want, I want to put that out there because I've been in the diversity conversation for a long time. There's been all sorts of different kind of activism around me. The way that I chose was that I wanted to impact the stories and the representation of Asians in media. If I could tell somebody at a major studio, like, hey, you should probably get a consultant before you put that story out there. When you do PR on this, think about who you're talking to. This is the kind of audience that you're talking to. The Asian diaspora is such and such and such. I can throw them some facts and that's something that they consider that they weren't considering five minutes to talking to me. I don't know. That's the way that I want to influence because I understand media is highly influential on the way that we, we perceive the world, who we humanize, who we empathize with, who we treat as a protagonist and as a lead, and who we don't, who is just an accessory, who is just an object to be consumed. That's where I want to make my impact. And I'm just one person. And so I think if we can have, you know, some compassion, some gratitude, um, I think, you know, as much as I can be very generalized and talk about like white people in some type of way, I'm really doing my best to stop doing that so generally because I believe that that's harmful. I have amazing white friends and allies who have been checking on me, who have been speaking in their respective families in very uncomfortable conversations of their own to help make it better for all of us. And I don't want to punish them for being white. If you are a white supremacist and acting so and like condemning others and being a douchebag, yeah, I'm going to condemn you because I'm not for that. That's not the kind of people that I think deserve praise. And I do think that they need accountability so they can start being more respectful and keeping people safe. But do I think all white people are white supremacists? No, I don't. I know that there's tons of white people who are doing work internally to recognize their own privilege and to speak on it. And I appreciate that so much. I'm working on recognizing my own my own privilege as an Asian woman because as much as I have been fetishized and felt unsafe and dehumanized in so many ways, there are certain privileges that I have had as an Asian person, as a minority that has been deemed like more like adjacent to white whiteness, which is just all of that is so ridiculous and maddening, but it's it's the reality. Because I know that there's people, white, black, otherwise, that have worked so that I can have the ability to vote, that I can have the ability to own property. All these things have been afforded to me by other people. So I'm not gonna I'm not going to discount that. Asian people have been contributing to civil rights and we are an increasingly loud voice. We are the fastest growing minority in this country. We are making our impact in media. We are making our impact in business. And right now is a very important moment shared by Daniel Day Kim. You can check out my Instagram of what he said to Congress. Like, there's a lot of Asian Americans right now that are waking up. And even the ones that have been awake, they're the ones that are speaking up a lot more. And there's power in numbers. And there's power in authentic connections that can, like, support one another. I'm here to support people who do not want to see people killed, attacked, mistreated, and dehumanized by something that's out of their control because they are a certain race, because they are a certain gender, because they love a certain person. No, we need to stop that. That's what I'm here to stop. And what I'm here to promote are people that will help another person out, who will go out of their way, who will take willingness to be uncomfortable in their personal lives to help ensure the safety of everybody. 
Like, it can be that simple, but it's not easy. So, yeah, that's part of what I wanted to say. I think I'll just end this here because... I don't know, you guys. Like, I'm tired. I'm not going to stop, but I'm tired. And I just want to say again, like I started, I love you. I love humanity. I see the good in us. I see our willingness to like make each other feel better. I see our kindness. I see our compassion. I see our humor and all of our like ridiculousness. I love people. And I think that we all have it in us to be the best version of ourselves. There's some deprogramming that needs to happen, in my opinion. I am just me. I am not speaking on behalf of all Asian Americans. I'm not speaking on behalf of all of women. But I can say with the utmost certainty that there has been patterns of sexualized misogyny, of racism, of xenophobia, and they are not that hard to figure out. And we are getting to the root cause of it because the root cause is what we need to demolish, in my opinion. That is the thing that we need to address. And that's going to require a lot of accountability, uncomfortable conversations, a lot of healing, a lot of forgiveness, a lot of grace, a lot of compassion, and a lot of love. The answer to hate is not more hate. I know there's this hashtag that we're talking about, stop AAPI hate. And there's a lot of anger that needs to be processed, a lot of grief that is being processed as well. And that's all fair and reasonable. I hope that the grief, the despair, the hatred, the anger, the resentment, the bitterness that is all valid is not where we land. That's all. Like, I don't want that to be where we land. Where we land is respect for one another, safety for all, just letting us coexist and be dignified and have like have basic decency you know what I mean like I don't know we've been so devoid of that for the last four freaking years that I know it's a lot to it feels like a lot to ask but um I just want to thank people too have been so kind and gracious and outspoken and encouraging like that's what I'm here for I'm living for it and I'm I'm very um just got to put the egos aside, man. And we've got to work through the pain and 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 land somewhere better that we can all sleep well at night. Because, y'all, I have not been sleeping well. Whew. And I am older than I used to be. I don't have the same kind of energy. I'm just trying to, like, live peacefully and not feel scared going to a grocery store. Oh, my God. We need still need to do the gun violence episode. Like, there's so many things. But my heart, at the end of the day, you guys, my heart goes out to everyone that's been hurting, and especially to the families of the victims, to the children and to the siblings and to the parents of, like, these innocent people that did not deserve to die. Not because of their vocation, not because of their race, not because of their gender, not because of anything, not because they were a quote-unquote temptress and like a temptation that needed to be eliminated. No, that is all just so wrong. And my heart goes out to them, to the entire community in Atlanta. My friends are out there. My friend's mom was friends with two of the victims. Like this is, these are real humans. And this has been happening too in terms of gun violence and like mass murders, like happening so much. There are a lot of people hurting right now. So my heart goes out to anybody who's like been struggling. It has been a freaking horrible ass year, period. It has been hard and we've been isolated. I think this is just like fallout of like us. Some people like truly, and I don't mean this in like a, condescending way like really like kind of reaching that breaking point and going off a specific like deep end the self-care part and the compassion part is so necessary I can't even put it into words and so we can start with ourselves like give yourself space to grieve and to feel that you feel and then and then set your intentions of where you want to go with that I really I've been in a hateful place before and it's that cliche of like you know hating somebody is like drinking poison and then wanting them to be the one that like dies or is harmed by it but it's really like us that gets consumed by it I have been drunk on anger and pain and rage I have hurt myself I've hurt others I have enough evidence, like experiential evidence in my life to know, like, that's not where I want to land. That is not the the thing that I want to live in forever. 
I want to continue loving people. I want to maintain hope in humanity. I want to have faith that people, if I'm hurting, somebody will look out for me. And if someone else is hurting, that I can look out for them. And that's like, it's a fine balance, but we can do it. So, you know, start by loving yourself truly. Get help if you need it. Ask for help. You are not taking up space and that's not available to you. You can take up space. You are not a burden. Your experience matters. Your pain matters. And we can heal those things and then truly like show up correct for ourselves and for other people. Like literally the work that we're doing all internally right now does really matter. And then when you can, when you, if and when you're able, please show up for others. Whoever you are, wherever you're listening to, if somebody is having injustice born upon them, it could have just as easily been you. So just as a person to person, show support, whether that's like DMing somebody or texting your friend or calling them, sending a gift, buying them a meal. I don't know. There are so many different ways, a million different ways that we can show up for other people. Okay. Um, Not everybody's in a place to like donate to all of these funds, but if you can do that, because resources do go a long way in terms of providing meals, housing, um, trauma care, whatever, like there's a lot that needs to be done and we can't rely on the next person to do it because that really may not happen. Sometimes it is really just on us. We got to step up to the plate and, and, and go to bat, you know? Um, I'm not an athlete, so I don't know why I revert to like sports analogies because it's not my wheelhouse, but I, that was the first thing available to me. So please forgive me. I might have misused that. Whatever. Um, you guys know what I'm trying to say. In any case, I, I love you guys and please take care of one another. Take care of yourselves. Look out for your mental health. Look out for your emotional well-being. Um, please stay safe out there. Um, yeah, please get vaccinated too. For the love of God, like let, let's at least let the pandemic part be over. Just you know. Um, and thank you for listening. Thank you for taking the time and energy to hear what I have to say, for supporting me, um, and and everybody related. Like I, I it's not lost. So I love you and thank you. And uh, thank you to Marvin Yue, my audio engineer and producer. Thank you, Marvin, for your patience. I'm so sorry. Like, it took four freaking tries to make this episode happen. But thank you so freaking much. And thank you to Juliana for being such an amazing support um, throughout this whole week and this these last few months. Like, it's been crazy. And I appreciate you so much. You're wonderful. Um, and also, I want everybody, if you can, please stay to the end. Because uh, the music that's being featured for the intro and outro is music by my friend Connie Lim, who goes by the name. Uh, the artist name of Milk. She has done amazing music that has um, really been a voice for the Me Too movement. And she created the song Somebody's Beloved. And it's something that struck my heart, you know, down to the, the middle of it. And I want to dedicate that to the victims of the Atlanta shooting, also to the, the victims of the Boulder, Colorado shooting. This violence needs to stop. This hate needs to stop. Let's love on each other. Um, thank you to Connie for letting me use her and feature her music. Um, you're a beautiful human, Connie. I love you. Thank you. And um, if you guys want to check out resources, you know, please go to the Asian Americans Advancing Justice. Go to stopaapihate.org. Go to the NAACP. Go to the ACLU. There's so many amazing advocacy groups that are working around the clock on so many different cases and so many different ways to support anti-racism to stop this injustice to make reparations and to stop and change the systems that we are operating in so that this can stop in a systemic way there are things that we can do so let's all do our part um and shout out to my patreon patrons i freaking love you guys thank you for your patience and support of me helping me keep this microphone on um helping me support marvin and juliana because that's where your patreon patron dollars are going um and if you'd like to support me please go to patreon.com slash first of all podcast you can follow me at first of all pod or at minjeezy on instagram you can email me first of all pod at gmail.com all the links everything you can go to first of all pod.com and check that out Um, I'm very excited because I've been invited to some really great conversations on other podcasts and um, I'm being uh, braver about this voice and wanting to host more things on Clubhouse and Clubhouse will be available to Android users soon. That's what's the word on the street. So hopefully that will be a thing where we can have more of these dialogues in real time and um, the podcast space can be where things live evergreen, you know, and can be shared. But yeah, in any case, I love all you guys. Please take care of yourselves. I'll be back again with some more content, more conversations, and we can continue this journey of healing and figuring out who the heck we are and what we can do in this lifetime. I'll talk to you soon. Bye. Say his name. Say his name.
Hi, I'm Marvin, and I'm Rira. We're the host of Books and Boba, a book club and podcast dedicated to books by Asian and Asian American authors. Every month, we pick a book by an Asian author to read and discuss on the show. We read a wide variety of genres, from contemporary to historical fiction, fantasy to memoirs, and crime thrillers to romance. Some of our past book club picks are Pachinko by Minjin Lee, Sorcerer to the Crown by Zhang Cho, and Devotion of Suspect X by Keigo Higashino. We also go over what's new in the Asian American literary world and chat with some talented Asian authors about their work. So whether you want to start reading for fun again or diversify your TBR list, we got your Asian literature cravings covered. For more info, check out our website at booksandboba.com. You can listen to us on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and wherever you find your podcasts. Part of the Potluck Podcast Collective.